Hello people, welcome to the When in Yorkshire podcast. I hope everyone is as well as can be. This is episode 47 and features Mr. John Gom. Now, way back in probably the autumn of 2018 when I was thinking about starting this podcast, um, John was one of the first people I had on my list um, and this was probably because I was a, I was a big fan of, of um, his album Secrets Nobody Keeps. Um, I was aware he lived in Yorkshire um, and I'd had a few people tell me um, that they've met him before and, and, and a couple of people said that they knew him and that he was very nice to chat to. Um, that probably led to uh, him being high up on my list. However, it was not meant to be for quite a long time, as you, as you will have gathered, due to a mixture of, of uh, his previous very busy touring schedule um, and a global pandemic. It has actually taken the three years to sort this out, but it was worth the wait. I had an I had an awesome time. Now, if you're not aware of John's music, um, he is a guitarist, singer, songwriter, um, and he uses percussive and and fingerstyle techniques to create layers um, and and add additional dynamics to his songs. Now, I met John at his home in Yorkshire, where I was lucky enough to see his signature. Um, Ibanez JGM model, which is an absolutely beautiful looking and and sounding guitar, um, which was released this year in in 2021. I've put a link to a video about the conception of his guitar uh, within the description of this episode for anybody that's interested in that sort of thing. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm not going to talk too much because this is quite a lengthy chat, but firstly, before you listen to this, um, I would recommend that you check out his song Passion Flower, um, which at the time of this release is celebrating its 10th birthday and is kind of one of, one of the, the big stepping stones for, for John um, in his kind of public profile. Um, and then also, please just listen to his album, The Faintest Idea. It's within the top three albums of, of the last 18 months for me, definitely. Um, if you enjoy this chat, and you want to see John live, which is well worth doing. I've been told I've seen numerous videos, but I've never actually seen him live. Um, then he's on tour in October and November. All dates are on his website, and a link to that is in the description of this episode. Um, so yeah, that's enough for me. Um, this is episode 47 with John Gom. Awesome. Mm. Cheers. Um, so I'm here with John Gom who has uh, very kindly allowed me into his property. So thank you very much for, for first of all, your hospitality. And uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, yeah. I'm better now that we've got beer. Yes. It's quite nice. Yeah, yeah. Time of day. So first thing I like to ask people <clears throat> is, what was your introduction to music? So kind of your earliest memory. Okay, so my memory is really unreliable, but um, I have... Um, a weird memory, which I don't know if it's real or implanted, but it, it happened. The actual event is true. <laughs> just me being like two years old and watching on telly um, Dire Straits okay. playing, I assume, Sultans of Swing. And I can picture like a, a dude with a red guitar yeah. on the telly, which would have been Martin Opler's Red Stratocaster. I can picture it really clearly. And apparently I was completely transfixed. And then I just wanted that. And that's all yeah. I would talk about. So my uh, my dad bought me a ukulele. 
Okay, that's the closest thing. Year. Closest thing to a red strap. But that was not that easy to find back then. You couldn't get like a a cheap ukulele yeah. from Argos or something. So the ukulele that I had, um, I actually have a photo of me with it. So it's Christmas 1979 or whatever, and I would have been two. I remember I, my mum found the photo and I put it on Facebook or, or somewhere. And a guy said, wow, I can see the label inside that ukulele. That's a Hawaiian such and such ukulele. That'd be worth a lot of money if you still got it. And actually, I, I smashed it to pieces when I was four. <laughs> I frog marched it out into the into the driveway of the house and just smashed it on the ground um, because I couldn't play it. And that's uh, when I started getting lessons after right. that. <laughs> that, was, that was the catalyst. Yeah. <laughs> So, wow, I think you. I think you've taken in in the in the forty odd episodes that I've done. I think that's the earliest memory that has been been recounted. Yeah, if it's real, if the memory's real, but certainly the, certainly the event is oh. the event really happened. I can remember writing songs in the like making up songs in the mm-hmm. bath, and like my daughter makes up songs now, um, and she's like five. And it was when I was about that age and a bit older, I started making up songs, but then remembering them, and I would deliberately sing this exact same bit mm-hmm. over and over again and i can still remember like half a dozen of those songs now oh wow yeah so um and they were f- kind of fully formed melody first off sometimes they'd have like a little instrumental hook as yeah, well yeah. and uh, i just was completely um would get lost in that um that kind of musical imagining world that's and, brilliant yeah it's great before I think the period when you're really young and you don't have any aesthetic judgment mm-hmm. at all, so you don't have any sense of, I like that, I well, you might say I like it or I don't like it, but you don't, would never have a sense of that's good or that's bad. Yeah. You never think something is is beautiful or ugly, really, and, mm-hmm. and um, you, just have a, you just have a reflex reaction to it. You either just, something either appeals to you or it doesn't. And um, I used to do things when I was a kid, like, so do you know what my favourite thing about Christmas was? Okay, go on. Then. When I was a little kid, um, <laughs> do you have a guess? Oh, I'm gonna, guess. Gonna, let me have one guess. <laughs> I'm going to say you're going to guess Chris, an obvious thing. Christmas like or something that well, weird John John might like. No, I'm going to say I'm gonna you say won't guess lo- what it was because okay. that'll be really weird. I, I'm going to say Christmas lights, specifically Christmas that tree is, lights. That's fucking hell. How did you? So anyway, what I used to do is I would switch off all the lights in the. So we had the Christmas tree. Is that lights. it? Yeah. So the Christmas tree lights would be on, and you know, the, like flashing ones, or whatever. Yeah. So I'd switch off all the other lights in the room, and I'd just have yeah. those lights. So it's like near darkness with those yeah. kind of colours, and then I'd put on my dad's records, or sometimes my <laughs> records. You know, when I was so when I was a kid, I'd be listening to stuff like, you know, like Madonna, yeah, or like Wham, or whatever. Okay, yeah, and. Um, there's a huge amount to be said for for that music. So Wham, yeah. like they had a guitar player called Hugh Burns, who was also the musical director. I didn't know that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But they yeah. had um, the production was amazing, and like Madonna's stuff, the production is often massive. Yes. Like it's and it's yeah. really immersive, and the stereo spread of it is huge, mm-hmm. and you feel you can get really lost in like those kind of synth sounds, and there's lots of big deep bass. There's the snare, yeah, they're, the they're huge complex. reverbs, and they are they're complex. There's, there's a lot to get lost mm. in. There's kind of a cinematic quality to yeah. to some of it, and um, yeah. So when I was a kid, I'd just get lost inside that totally. So it could be Pink Floyd, or yeah. Was, Wham, well, that's know, what I was, expect- I was expecting. Be either. Pink Floyd, it's either my dad's records <laughs> yeah. or my records, yeah. as, a, as a kind of you know eight year old or whatever. Yeah. 
That's that's brilliant. Yeah, I was ex- I was expecting Pink Floyd with the Christmas tree lights because I'm pretty sure. Well, as as a maybe se- that's as not just me. Is that like common? No, no. But as a 16 year old, very much 17 year old, 18 year old, very much about you know let, discovering kind of prog rock and going yeah, put that on. Let's get some lava lamps or something of yeah. the time. It's, it's funny because like when thing, I was that <laughs> age, my friends were doing that, and it's like I'd done that when yeah. I was a little kid. <laughs> Like when I was a really little well kid, and I was time. like really bored by that, and I I didn't want to do that at that age, and it was and I just I was really bored of it. I I wanted to just I don't know play at that yeah. point. I, I so yeah, and when I listened to music when I was like sixteen, I wasn't able then to listen to music in the way that my friends were, where it was more kind of just an immersive experience. Because you know, as a musician, when you listen to music, you tend to go into an analytical mode and um that's an amazing skill to have but it's also it means that you can't enjoy music in the same way sometimes so i mean that's something that i do i listen to music that i can't analyze sometimes what what sort of things so um, i'm bracket yeah so i i i'm not a classical musician Mm -hmm. at all except i mean did you know that's not true i've got like grade eight classical guitar (laughs) but But classical guitar is a very specific, weird thing. Yeah. But I was a kid. That was a. I was like fifty. I didn't do well. I passed. Mm. I did, but I do. I didn't practice hard. I'm not very good at. You know, I make mistake. I make mistakes all the time. I'm quite a clumsy player, and um, and I don't really care. I find the idea of like making a like a little fluff note to me is not a mistake. No, you know, to me a mistake is like, oh, I forgot how it goes. <laughs> That's a mistake. Yeah, yeah. No, but you know, so the classical thing, like, there's no way I've got the discipline to, or the perfection levels required to do that. And classical guitar, you don't really learn about classical music when you play classical guitar, even yeah. to a high level, because you're not playing the same stuff that every other instrument is playing, where it's kind of, you know, you don't play any Beethoven. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not, it's not so much the orchestral side. Yeah, of things. There's, yeah, yeah, there's no guitar in the orchestra. This is the key thing. Yeah. So if you're a piano player or a violinist, then mm-hmm. all your repertoire is all intertwined. If you're a guitar player, it's not ninety percent, maybe solo guitar yeah. music that's never been intended for anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, or it's Bach adaptations. <laughs> that's yeah. it. And um, yeah, so you don't really learn anything about classical music doing that. So when I listen to orchestral music. Um, it's it's beyond me to really analyse, except for the ob- I don't know the stuff that's obvious to me. It, it, it's really I, I don't know how to do that. So I'll quite often listen to classical music if I want to just have that experience. Of, okay. Yeah, just to just to le- just to be whilst Some, the music's yeah. happening. So something's yeah. not. It's not going to be a source of like. It's not going to make me have thoughts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's basically the best way I can say it. Excellent. So, what in terms of your your performance then or, or or in fact let's start with your experiences of live music right because okay. i think live is is for my from the way i discovered you and the way i found out about your music yeah um was a series of of uh, live performances that have been recorded uh was it was it, was it at leeds college of music potentially or or in the um got no idea or maybe in the playhouse Maybe at the Playhouse. I don't know. I've never no, I've never played at the Playhouse. Oh right, okay. Um, um, so, so one, of, but there was most of the the recordings that I that I came across of you. There was so many live um, videos that I that I found on. I YouTube. never watched them. It's terrifying. No. They're all so bad. But, no, no, they, <laughs> they, they they drew me in completely. I just um, I don't even. And 
So what what was your kind of first live experience of watching music? So, you know, when I was really young. So my dad used to take me to gigs all the time. My dad was... um, so there was, uh, he's just always been really, really into music. That's kind of always been his, okay. his thing is that he loves, loves music. Um, so, um, a guy in Blackpool where I'm from started putting on, um, blues bands. So this guy had a, uh, he was called, um, Mick and he had a record shop called the Fillmore, like a little secondhand vinyl, mostly vinyl shop. And then Mick started putting on gigs. So, he, um, Mick's other job, he also used to paint uh, the Blackpool Illuminations, some of them. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so he, he, he was really into blues, mm-hmm. and he used to put on blues acts, and there was a blues revival in the early 90s, right? Um, particularly in the northwest of England. So there were a lot of blues bands, and um, there was kind of a blues revival in the 90s anyway. So mm-hmm. it was like, so Buddy Guy, who's a household, well, a very yeah. big name, famous blues guy. He was famous in the 60s, kind mm-hmm. of pushing into the early 70s. And then he was just, he had a day job for years. And then he made a comeback album in 1990 or 91. Right. And um, that's because there was this huge blues revival at that time. I remember his comeback album. What's it called? It's called Damn Right I've Got the Blues. And he's got, it's got Eric Clapton on one track. It's got <laughs> Jeff Beck on one track. It might have Knopfler that we mentioned wow. before on a track. Yeah, was, yeah. I think it maybe does. And he's not really a, blues guy mm. but all these guys they obviously buddy guy was a great hero of theirs and it, and he was doing a comeback album and they wanted to just play on the album so that he could help sell the albums yes. you know what i mean yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure they want to play with him as well but yeah. um, that's very much what it felt like it was like they had a, he had these little guest stars and they didn't do much they just play like a couple of bars yeah yeah, song, yeah. That was it. <laughs> so cameo yeah really very cameo and um yeah so anyway so there was this 90s blues revival happening and um so my dad became friends with this guy from him working the record store when he started putting on gigs um, my dad's job was he was um an editor at the local newspaper right so he started um reviewing um albums that mick was selling so the new blues albums that were coming out and then he started reviewing the gigs right okay um so these gigs got a huge amount of coverage and it's like like half a page, huge photos. So, cause my dad was really into trying to promote them and they started to get really popular. And anyway, I was going with my dad from the start. Sometimes I would write the album reviews or I would write the gig review. Oh, when I was wow. like, you know, 13, 14, I'd actually write it and I'd have the little byline in the paper. Oh, and, amazing. Stuff. and, um, the musicians would often stay. My dad had, um, uh, like a house of like three or four bedrooms mm-hmm. and there was only him in it. Right. So the bands would stay at my dad's house instead of, you know, unless they actually requested a hotel, it would save Mick a lot of money. What would happen is like, we'd go out to the gig. Sometimes we'd like have dinner with the band before the gig. Then we'd (laughs) go and watch the gig. Then we'd take them home at some point. (laughs) Um, or me and my dad would go home and they'd just turn up. Yeah, yeah. And then we'd get up in the morning and I'm already awake and they're all bleary, you know, and I've got my guitar. <laughs> At that point, ro- that point the tables are turned. Yes. And yeah. I've got the guitar. And I will play a bit for them. And I'll just be in the kitchen noodling yeah. on my guitar, casually, you know. And then <laughs> oh, 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 you've come down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly what it was like. I've also tuned your guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it would be really very much like, 
I borrowed help and make breakfast. God, they used to destroy the kitchen. Loads of these bands, they would fuck absolutely destroy the kitchen. It'd be such a fucking state. And um, I'd get them to teach me stuff if it, if it seemed like yeah. wasn't being too pushy, you know. But usually they were pretty. They yeah. thought it was fun. There was yeah, this I bet weird little just geeky kid. No pressure. To learn. Just yeah. yeah, amazing. So, I used to write down like so. They, I think they. So Walter Trout is quite a famous guitar yeah, player yeah. from um, California. And he came to Blackpool and played a lot. Um, it was like the first time he played a European tour, it was his only gig in the UK. <laughs> he played at Sequins Nightclub in Blackpool. And um, he couldn't believe it because he'd teach me the licks. And I'd write them down. Like in, I'd notate them. Right. So I didn't want to forget it. So I used to write them down. He was like, Shit, I never knew what that would look like written down. Do you know what so I mean? So you can you can read and write music. Yeah, yeah, I okay. Can. Not, I not can. just not. I don't have Walter. I don't remember. But yeah. he'd never bothered to write. Yes. If he can or can't, he never bothered to write yeah. down like some lick that he played in some solo yeah, yeah. or whatever. So um, yeah, but I, so I've got a book full of like just Walter Trout licks Amazing. that he taught me in my dad's kitchen, and uh, yeah. So my ex- live music experiences were quite unusual in mm. that way. But it wasn't like any of these guys were megastars. So I've mentioned Walter Trout because he's probably one of the most famous ones. And um, most of them were li- uh, lesser-known American yeah. musicians or like blues guitarists from the north of England. You mm-hmm. know, and um, but they were great, and they were they were just all great musicians. And I learned a lot. And I also, I guess, accidentally learned that being a musician isn't about being a pop star and being famous is mm. something else. You can just be somebody who just plays gigs and, you know, you don't have to be famous. So that yeah. was never on my agenda at all, ever, to have any kind of fame. And I'm not in the least bit interested in it. And I mm. actually actively, you know, hate it. Um, I don't hate having people who like my music, but I hate, like... Um, I don't hate interacting with people either. It's that actually just... It's the distant bit where you're just kind of like an image that people see mm. and then make an instant judgment on. Yeah, so the, the superficial it. side of... Yeah, uh, I guess of, you could say it's superficial. Almost celebrity, that, that sort of I, yeah, I, I, of it. I don't hate that it exists. I don't hate other people mm. doing it, but for me... It's not for you. No, it's... T- I, it's uh, no. Yeah. And I, I think like it. that's really interesting, the the, the, the kind of the, the, blues, the blues side of things, because that, that really does fit, I guess, with... The side of your the, the the part of your music that immediately jumped out. Um, what, what kind of kept me watching and, and looking for another video and another video is that there seemed to be, it. It was that kind of emotion, and there's a real kind of humanity and humility within the within the music that kind of made me think. There's a, there's a story in here, and even if even on first listen, when I'm kind of not 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 picking up on every single lyric, or when there's when there's instrumental pieces, in the there's a real kind of story and that, that, that can I get the same from blues as well? Cause yeah, yeah. that's mostly what it's about. Not, not always just about the kind of the licks and stuff. Well, blues songwriting comes from, is a story yeah. because it's not, it's not the music, isn't the song. Usually yeah. the music is quite formulaic. It's the, it's the basis not to always. be able to tell yeah. the story. It's the basis. And then you tell the story with the words mm. and then you tell the story with the solos. Yeah. It's not always that way, but certainly with electric blues, it tends to be, um, or you know, I'm, re- I'm massively generalising. I just certainly don't want to, um, don't want to do that. Um, I mean, when blues started out, it was kind of, you know, something a little bit different to that, where songs were individual little entities, the same they would be in like any any style of music. 
but then it certainly did become like in the 1950s there became certain formulas that people yeah. wrote to so yeah and that worked and Willie Dixon invented most of those <laughs> formulas the great bass player and songwriter yeah anyway yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that and that, that's, that's cool. Yeah, that that makes. makes I always wonder if there's any sense. blues in there still because it is so it's so much part of my route, but I don't actually play that much well, blues. Well, the, I guess there the probably is if it's that much of your core. You know, mm. if that it comes across, even even if it's yeah, even if it's not in the in the formula of the song or the the, the constructs of the song, it's you know it's yeah. in there somewhere. It's part of you, isn't it? So yeah, it'll it'll be, it'll work its way out in in little ways that it'll you might so, yeah. won't be hundred percent aware of. Um, so, in, in terms of you performing them, what, where did your first performance come from? I don't. How did remember. that come about? Um, I don't really remember. I've, I don't remember my first ever performance or something. I remember playing like at school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when I remember playing at primary school, like a school concert. Was that guitar? Yeah. So I just played like a couple of classical guitar pieces. That's probably the first time I ever performed. And um, I remember being really nervous actually. God, I can't remember that. Wow. I remember my friend's dad played the accordion and he went on for ages. <laughs> like people were like getting really uncomfortable. You could you just tell. It was from Cornwall. It was all Cornish. Mm. You could really tell that people were getting... I can clearly remember him saying <laughs> that thing where he's like played a piece and it's like his third or fourth one. And then he says... For my next piece, and people kind of go, oh, like that. Just, just really quite, they don't even mean a to real do it. real audible grunt. Yeah, but there was adorable. I remember that really clearly now. Oh, I'm still in touch with that. Actually, I'm still, my mum's still in touch with him, with the dad, and I'm still in touch with, like, his son. I'm going to have to bring that up. Yeah, um, yeah so. But uh, then in terms of, like, you know, proper gigs and stuff, like, I did some, so I had a, a band at school, we were called Pig. And okay. basically, Pig were... The glorious dreamt of um, marriage of uh, grunge mm-hmm. songs with um, very shred uh, electric guitar solos. Okay. So if you imagine that Joe Satriani joined um, Pearl Jam. Uh, I was going to say Pearl Jam do have quite a lot of guitar solos. I'm going to say if Joe Satriani joined Nirvana. Okay, yeah. Then <laughs> And obviously they were both, they were all lobotomized. Yes. Then that's yeah, what yeah. we sounded like. Everybody was happy about that marriage. And just, yeah. I once, I once, somebody once told, told me trying to, um, somebody once told me trying to insult me that I sounded like, um, a horrific mixture of, um, Jeff Buckley and Steve Vai. And I just like really wanted to put it on my posters. That's yeah. the best thing that everybody, anybody has ever said. It's like, I remember it was, it was a guy who was like in a local <laughs> band who was in, like doing hip hop stuff and he was quite savage about people, you know, mm. and uh, I don't mind that. And um, yeah, and it was like, dude, you get me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's scary. You should, you should put that on a poster somewhere. I would love to. You should. Yeah, yeah absolutely you should. So, how did the the development from uh, from the, the that that, oh, yeah, that genre move to yeah so yeah here now so yeah I was doing gigs at school and went to so from school I went to guitar school in London mm-hmm. the Guitar Institute and I was doing gigs there a bit here and there doing diff- different kinds of gigs you know all different kinds of things and um, playing in bars or restaurants or that kind of stuff then I moved to Leeds and went to music college there for a bit and 
I did try to start up a blues band actually. I just remembered that, and we did. I just and I just didn't think it was really working. I just didn't think I could really do it. And so um, I was doing other gigs as well. I was like in a I was in a country band for a long right. time. So doing like fast country solos and stuff um, <laughs> on the banjo. No, there was no banjos <laughs> involved. Just on my Telecaster, and um, yeah, that was uh, I did. Wow, I did that for a few years. Like loads, of, we did loads of gigs. Um, it was just you know gigging for money, mm. whatever I was yeah. offered. It's like okay, I'll have a go at that. And um, but the other thing I was doing was lots of acoustic gigs. So I started working with a singer. So I was playing guitar and singing some backing vocals and singing the odd song, and she was singing um, pretty much everything else. And she's an amazing singer. And um, then I just kind of wanted to do more on my own. So um, yeah, I started singing more and writing stuff and um yeah just gradually evolved into that and i was already kind of doing so when i was playing acoustic stuff i'd been aware for a for a while of kind of extended techniques that could Mm -hmm. be used and um once you've kind of seen i've always been um somebody who has basically the attention span of a gnat and i'm very very drawn to gimmicks or okay. novelty is a better way of putting it i'm very very drawn to anything novel okay um because it's just that instant little dopamine mm-hmm. wow moment so i remember the first time i saw anybody play slide guitar yeah. i'd heard slide guitar on records but because i remember i'd be really young when i first time i'd be like 13 14 i went to a gig and there's gypsy dave smith playing as it was his name i can remember it and he was playing slide and he was good as well yeah. he wasn't like he was wow he was really good player you know doing really technical slide stuff and um on acoustic guitar and blues and it's like wow this is the best sound i've ever 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 heard you know i remember the first time i saw somebody doing like tapping on the guitar or eight finger tapping on the guitar or doing like anything or percussion on the guitar who can you remember the first time you saw someone doing percussion on the guitar so i don't remember the first time i saw it but the first time i heard it let me think oh i don't know I don't. The first time I heard it might have been Thomas Lieb. Do you know what? I don't know. Ah, I because I, 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 I remember. I'll have, to, I'll have to check. My my first introduction to sort of percussive guitar techniques and stuff like that was uh, Eric Roach. Yeah, so I think it was Eric Roach was involved. I think Eric Roach did um, a monthly column in Guitar Techniques magazine. Yes, he did. Yeah, and then one month he had Thomas Lieb quite early on. Right, and. Um, I think it was probably one of Thomas's tunes. I don't know if there must have been a CD on the cover or what, or how I heard it. But that was probably one of those. It was the first time. I, yeah. That can't be the first time I heard because of guitar. I don't know. I'm really, really not sure. But I, I guess it would have been like... No, no, probably before that. It would have been like around two, 1999. But do you right, know what, yeah, actually? Yeah. This is completely wrong because I'm thinking in a context right now of... I don't know why, but I just jumped in like modern fingerstyle context. Mm-hmm. The first time ever... Right, okay. And also, there's a there's a a person that I've blanked from my mind. Okay, so I'll talk about it. Okay, so um, things are going to take a turn for the dark now. Okay. So one of the guys who used to play the gigs in Blackpool and my uh, um, that my dad used to take me to. So he was uh, a guitarist from New York, and he played um, acoustic and like national steel guitar, mm-hmm. and he played drums on the guitar. So it's a thing that was in blues. So I'd already been doing it. Because I copied his style for a while. Right. So he'd play kick drums and snares and they're massive drum beats. They sounded 
huge, mm. like, like really amazing. Because um, it's a thing that was in blues style, but it went away. Right. So um, there's a particular guitar player called Bucker White, and he used to do a load of drums on the guitar, doing solo stuff, and he'd be playing guitar and he'd be putting beats in. Wow. And it was much more the way that people do it now, actually, where he'd like do just a little kick drum by just banging on yeah. the bridge or banging on it with his wrist mm-hmm. rather than doing anything fancy where you're flying around the guitar. And and then his snare drum, he'd just slap the guitar, he'd slap yeah. the strings. And that's quite a common way of doing it now. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and he was doing that. I mean, the videos that I've seen in kind of more recent years are from the 60s. Right. But those were, those were, he was older then. So I guess he would have been doing it pre-war. So he was doing that pre-war. Wow. So, yeah, so it really goes back. And it, this was not a minor thing. And then I, so I saw this guy. So the guy that I saw doing it is a guitarist called Bob Brosman. And he was one of my absolute idols, like mm-hmm. as a person. Um, he, um, I don't want to talk about it. But he, um, I used to talk to him a lot, get a lot of advice from him. Even when I was very young and he kind of used to, um, really helped me and then when i started gigging because he's a solo acoustic guy we started mm-hmm. sometimes playing the same venues and stuff and i some i once i bumped into him like in a service station on a motorway in italy <laughs> it's him and his wife but anyway yeah bob um bob died a few years ago he took his own life unfortunately well not un- well um and he left a, a note saying he'd always had problems with his arm like, um, cause the way he used to play was so physical. His right arm used to get really, he used to get tendonitis right. and muscle problems yeah, yeah. and stuff. But it was all right. It was, it would play up, but then it would be all right. And then he, and he'd mentioned his arm and, and this was his reason and his note. And anyway, uh, then what happened was like after he died, it turned out that there was a class action lawsuit against him that had already been begun by parents of children, um, claiming that he'd, um, He'd abused them, and it wow. turned out these stories were extremely credible. And actually, that I know one of the dads right. from when I was a kid, from like he would promote Bob in yeah. like a nearby city to Blackpool. And um, it's something that um, I was thinking about recently. I can't remember what brought it back to mind. When this came out, I was devastated because yeah. the age that I knew Bob, I was probably too old to be at risk. But mm. I honestly did have to cast my mind back and just think if. Because I would have been like eleven or twelve. I'm not talking like yeah. really old um, when I when I met him. But it's like I had to cast my mind back, and and I did ask my dad if there was anything ever anything yeah. weird that he remembered or anything like that. Because anyway, um, yeah, it, it was absolutely absolutely horrendous. Another thing that Bob was famous for was his ethnomusicology, as it's called. I'm not sure I like that term, but <laughs> he would. Um, so he would do world music i don't really like that term either yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so he'd do um he'd go to africa and make albums in like mali or whatever right uh, with okay. local musicians yeah and then and he was great at it um but then it was like i started to just wonder what the appeal mm. was for him of going to third world countries and it's like, yeah and then uh, but it, it's something that i've just stopped do you know what when he died, I guess the, his local newspaper in California, mm. um, he was from New York, but he, but I guess he moved to California because his local newspaper, it's Santa, Santa Clara or something is the name of the city. And I guess they must have searched Wikipedia mm. 
for him because they were doing his obituary and this was before this stuff had come out and he was mentioned on my Wikipedia page as somebody who had been an important yeah. kind of um, developmental influence for me like musically and just career wise and everything and um, so they, they emailed me and I sent them like quite a long little thing about how important it had been in yeah. my life and how unique he was as a musician and as a person. And it was actually in the below the line comments on that article in that newspaper's website that the allegations were first came out online. And since that's happened, which is years and years ago now, I haven't actually said anything about it publicly and mm. nobody has we just don't talk about him but his music's still on sale mm. his book he made a lot of guitar instructional books they're still on sale i don't know if they should be or they shouldn't be but it's like he still ex exists as some kind of musical entity yeah in the yeah. world in some way <clears throat> and i'm just kind of it's, it's that, i might say something about it publicly i mean i am doing right now i guess it's on a podcast but i might i might put something on on Facebook and stuff about it because it's not. It, I feel like we, as a, I mean, the world of solo acoustic guitar players, we're not Hollywood. You know what I mean? Mm. It's not like some massive yeah. thing, but it still is. A, we still are some kind of community, and we yeah. are professional, and we do have some kind of responsibility to yeah, the people that we work with. Yeah. And, and I just feel like if we if we don't talk about it, which we haven't, and in a sense. We're letting him get away with it. Mm. In a sense, as a as a professional community, we're letting him get away with it. And the way the world's changed since then, I don't know. I just feel like I should come out and say something. I wouldn't go out and say anything definitive about this is this is what happened and stuff. I'd just say, look, I don't know. I don't know what I yeah. would say, but I feel like something needs to be said because it's like, oh, yeah, some some anyway, form of some sorry, form. Of, no, no, no. Some some form of commentary from, like you say, the the. The kind of network that he was he was affiliated with, I guess. Yeah, but was, yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's anyway. the, it kind of brings up that question of can you separate the the art from the artist? No, I can't um, in his case because no, I, uh, absolutely not. No, I've never looked. I can't look. I never, you know, listened to his music or anything. I could mm. never do that. I could never ever do it. It's um, it's entwined yeah. for you. It is, but I I don't know. Yeah. But I think that's because I'm personally connected to it. Yeah, I still, yes, I still listen to different. I still listen to Michael Jackson. Yeah, I don't, I don't again. <laughs> no. I don't want to go down. Some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I don't want to. There's, there's, I don't want to. Don't I, think some, there's, there's, I think I once made a comment on Twitter privately with a friend about when that documentary came out, like a recent one, and I watched it. It was like I don't remember what I said, yeah. but I instantly got attacked by there's, dozens of people, many of whom looked like. My, so I had profile pictures where they had dressed like Michael Jackson and like had like made their face look like his face in some way oh. it's like holy moly this is really yeah so yeah there's but, a whole um, level I, commitment there that they but i can separate michael jackson yeah. from that because i don't know him you know it, mm. i guess it's a different thing i listen to i love the smiths i listen yeah. to morrissey i you know the fact that he's a he's a he's a horrible racist these days yes yeah, he always was but yeah, it's well, like, yeah but it's and you can disconnect that. And it's funny because in a way you shouldn't because there's an element of, he has this quintessential Englishness to his music. Yeah. There's a quintessential like you start to identitarianism. Start to, yeah, you start to, to question the motives behind a lot of what was going on there. It's... Well, I do. No, I, I don't, you don't have to question it. You just reveal what it is. But the thing is, it's like, it's not, 
So it's not worth him having horrible views to create that music. That's not the equivalence that I'm that I'm trying to draw right now. So I want to make it clear before I draw it. But it's like him having that mindset, and he's made that music. It's like there's it. You can. I wonder even which came first. Yeah, that's 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 the odd. bit that, that confuses me and confounds me. Is yeah, where was his mindset at that point? Yeah. Well, he, he, I mean, he used to talk about it back in the day. Right. I just didn't read. I mean, I never. I never no, I was reading the enemy and stuff. No, he did. I read. And, I've read. And, I've seen little bits of interviews from the eighties, right. where he's saying, you know, you have to be black to get on top of the pops these days and right. stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. That's... Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty grim. Yeah, it's pretty grim. But I can separate that. Like one of my favourite uh, musicians or kind of like musical artists um, is Johnny Rotten. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Rotten is, in many ways, a horrific man. Okay. So he's, I think he's incredibly aggressive. The way he's been racist to people as well. Um, the way that he, um, you know, the way that he kind of deals with life is so on the attack. Do you think that's still the case now? He seems yeah, to, he seems I mean, to recently be. he like I remember recently he came out with a there was a big photo of him with a Trump hat on and loads of people oh, were like right. saying oh um can't, you've really let us down Johnny oh, you've really let us down Johnny we believe you know we thought you were on our side and it's like no he's not that's the point of Johnny Rotten Johnny Rotten is a clown he's the court mm. jester and yeah. if you are I think I, he made a quote at the time which was like I love Trump Trump is a wrecking ball. Mm. I think that was his quote. And yeah. I thought I loved that, you know. And I'm totally like not aligned with that politically at all. But the point of Johnny Rotten, of what he's wired to do, is to challenge everything that you do, but not challenge it in an intellectual way, just no. by basically pissing on it. Yeah, that's yeah. what he does, just to blow everything up. Yeah, just yeah. literally the catalyst. Just, that's for what anything. he does, and that's really valuable in society have that and i and i just mm. absolutely love his music some of it not all of it but i absolutely love some of his music and um and i love some of his attitude to life like i remember i listen to a lot of talk radio because if i'm driving around i don't always want to listen to music and you spend mm. so much time driving around as a musician i remember hearing him on like just regular kind of mainstream like bbc radio like four o'clock, yeah. totally mainstream. And he was in this situation, which I've been in numerous times, where they're talking about something else on the radio. And then he's asked to comment. Like once I I answered the phone to a radio station in um, Australia. And I was in Australia on tour, but I was doing a phone interview. And they said, so we got John, go on the line. So John, what's your favourite pizza topping? Like, <laughs> what? Yes, that's brilliant. <laughs> so random, and it's like so. This happened. Jo- Johnny Watton was on the radio, and they were talking about some news. Uh, they had come out about children crying on planes. Right, like what's the worst thing yeah, about yeah. flying or something? And people were saying okay. that children crying, and jo- and Johnny Watton was just there. You, you know, listen to that. And going, I love it when ch- when babies cry on planes. <laughs> I just look at them and I go, squeal, squeal, little piggy. And it's just, I just love yeah. it. I love it. That's what I would think. I think, yeah. come on, 
yeah, scream at yeah. the world. This is your, this is it. This, this is, is your, your chance. chance. Yeah, it's just <laughs> there's nowhere for anybody to run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've got your full attention. No, I can. Yeah, I can. I can see that. There's there's the appeal of of being able mm. to do that. I could never be like that, but I do have that in me to want to just. Mm. I remember being in Canada, and quite often when I'm on stage, I'll, I'll make. I'll try and be funny, but sometimes I'll take the piss out of the audience or take the piss out of people, you know, and hopefully do that in a way that's, I don't do it in a way that's trying to, um, to hurt anybody's feelings. I, I do it in a way which is supposed to be, I don't know. I'm from Blackpool. The way that we interact with each other is we take the piss out of each other. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know that you can trust the other person. Okay. Because yeah. you take the piss yeah. out of them and they can take it and you take the piss back. You know? yeah. So you're not, you don't be cruel. You're not trying somebody. to victimize somebody. You're not bullying anybody. Yeah. You're not t- taking about somebody's identity. But I remember, um, and I also, I just get dangerously bored, you know, I, and so I say things out <laughs> that are sometimes a little bit outlandish and I have to be really careful. Um, but I remember doing that in, in Canada and the reaction with the, just people don't react mm. because they're so polite. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They're just so nice. Yes. I can, and, I can imagine that. And kind of placid in a way, and and it's a lovely place to be. I remember at one point standing on a table in the middle of a venue, just screaming, "How the fuck do I offend you, people?" You know, <laughs> did I you just, get a response? No, I don't know. <laughs> I just think they thought I was really yeah. ridiculous and really funny. Somebody approached. But it's not you like after. I'm there. I'm not like yeah. you know there screaming excitedly <laughs> or trying to offend people anyway. But you know what I mean. It was just I just noticed that people were very, yeah. very, very Can accepting the, there. The, the politeness in them at the end of the gig, somebody will will come up to you with a list of, of ways for future reference of how to offend them. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> You've spent the time. Yeah, but yeah, just take a, just write a nice long list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably like, you know, <laughs> include like just some helpful like local directions. Yeah. And stuff as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I love Canada. I remember like, weird little things like you've mentioned that. It's like I just had this memory of, I can't even remember where, remember where the gig was, but I went to like a Tim Hortons for a coffee. And then the lady in the coffee shop was like asking me what I was doing there in that town. And um, so I told her and then, you know, I had a whole little chat and then I went out in my coffee and about five minutes, like halfway down the cup of coffee, I'd realized that on the side of the coffee, she'd just written, have a great gig. With a oh, sharpie. amazing. And it's like, Canada is a special place. Canada's a really special place. That's so. absolutely lovely. Yeah. So I guess in terms of your your... You've got you've got an anniversary coming up with musically. Oh yeah, that's um, true. So that wasn't the first song that I heard. I can't remember the first song that I heard, but I know that it was prior to. I think I then saw you on Look North, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Um, after after somebody who who had retweeted you, Stephen Fry. Yeah. Stephen Fry retweeted about Passion Flower. He did, yeah, yeah, and then that kind of that that blew up, and that must have changed things. Quite yeah, it significantly. did significantly, but it didn't. It wasn't Stephen Fry's tweet that changed things. It that was a weird. So, what changed things with the video going viral? Mm-hmm. And Stephen Fry tweeted it, and I don't know because the video was going viral. I was thinking, you know, I was already a professional musician at mm-hmm. that point and doing like having to do like my own marketing or whatever. No, I'm not serious in a serious way. You know, I don't know, whatever, but just trying to do that, you know, making my website, my posters yeah. and my Facebook page or whatever. And, um, 
Yeah, so that, the video went viral, and I was, so my thought is, how do I capitalize on this? Mm-hmm. What? Because it's all well and good having a video going viral, but it's like, okay, how do I turn this into like me getting better gigs or whatever, yeah. getting record sales? You know, how does that actually work? And the only way that I know about doing that is to try and get the non-internet media to mm-hmm. pay attention to it. So what happened was it started to go viral because a guy posted it on Reddit and he posted the crap out of it. He just really, really liked it and then was sharing it everywhere and re-uploading it in various places and ended up it ended up on the front page of Reddit. And wow. that's when it kicked off. What a hero. And that guy, <laughs> whose name I, I can't say, um, because he doesn't want to reveal his identity, but he's yeah. uh, uh, a disabled man who was living in like a council flat in Bolton. I sent him everything that I've ever made. Yeah. Um, because he got, you know, I managed to contact him just through like looking at the username on Reddit mm, and stuff. Mm. I managed to get into it. And so, yeah. And um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, He's a really good guy, and um, he's had loads of problems in his life, and he's the reason. So, um, but then oh. when Stephen, various celebrities started retweeting, yeah. so Stephen Fry was by far the most mm-hmm. famous one in this country. So, I, I wrote a press release. Well, actually, my mum helped me write it at the time because um, my mum's a journalist too. So right. she helped me write this press release, and she sent it off to a few people. Um, there was various little things that helped. So her being a journalist, and she's a local journalist, so it's not like she knows, mm. like she can just know somebody at the BBC yes, or anything yeah. like that. But we do happen to know, she, we do happen to have a family friend who at that time was working at the Daily Mail. Right. And he was, um, he'd only been there for a year and he was very junior, um, but it was his last week there. Right. So he just wrote a story about me, mm-hmm. and he, me and my mum kind of changed the timeline a, a bit. So it was, um, instead of the story reading like, Guy has viral video, and Stephen, even Stephen Fry's noticed, we kind of made it like, okay, so Stephen Fry's tweeted it, and now it's gone viral. Right, okay. Yeah, so we yeah. didn't really, we didn't like alter it explicitly, but mm-hmm. we just put the things in that order in the press release, and people, I guess, assumed... That Stephen Fry had created yes, this viral yeah, yeah. video occurring, um, which he didn't as such, although he certainly helped. Yeah. So I mean, at what point has it gone viral? I mean, who knows? So um, anyway, so so Andrew, who works at the Daily Mail at the time, because it was his last, he was he, was, he didn't matter, he got fired. He he just um, wrote the story and uploaded it. He didn't even check. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant! That's so, uh, amazing. That, <laughs> that is that is fantastic. Um, and then at some point, I, we just got fo- started getting weird phone calls. We just got a phone call from Calendar or Lucknow. I think it was Calendar, the, the, so the Yorkshire News. Mm. And then I got a phone call from BBC Breakfast. And it was terrifying. BBC Breakfast would only pay for one train ticket. So <laughs> my wife, who was my manager at the time, um, we had to pay for her train ticket. They paid for the hotel, though. I thought it was awful. Yeah. And then a taxi just arrived at like... 5am I think I slept for about an hour and then we got there and I was so scared and Marco Pierre White the chef was there yeah um, and he was terrifying yeah he well really I was going to say he's not, he's not known for being I, I didn't interrupt him but he, and... he, he seemed pissed off about something but I don't know um, Chris I can't remember names for Chris Evans who plays Captain 
captain. Oh yeah, yeah, Captain yeah. America. Yeah, he yeah. was there, and he saw. He watched me play. Although I just saw him through a window, and mm-hmm. I was, don't. Maybe I did speak to him for a millisecond. It's like a military operation. Yeah. BBC Breakfast marched in, marched out. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but he tweeted about it, and that really helped too because he'd watched me yeah. play. And then I did it after I played. There was an, a choir that were from somewhere in Africa. I can't remember where, and I they did something live in the studio and they were so amazing and so much better than me um yeah but it was it, i can't remember who else was there there was somebody else i don't remember but it was mm. you know it was a surreal experience it was really <laughs> yeah. really surreal really really surreal yeah and it was in the old bbc tv television center which oh brilliant use anymore so it was like yeah yeah it was quite nice to go into that building but it was just all surreal and terrifying yeah. and then i remember another i got another phone call I go a week or two later. I was teaching um, guitar at the Guitar Institute. I used to go back and do like a like a master class, like yeah, an yeah. alumnus master class every year. So I was down there. I was in the, my favourite um, cafe near the Guitar Institute, and I got a phone call from the One Show oh. saying, "Can we use your video? We didn't. We got. I don't. You know, we got your number." Yeah. Um, can, can, can you give us clearance to use your video? And I said, yeah, don't worry, I own it. I don't have any publishing, record label, anything. I made that video, I own the music, I own everything, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. So if you need me to sign something, that's fine. And she said, no, it's for tonight, because they had Stephen Fry on. Oh, right, show. so they were going to use a clip of this. Yeah, so they, use, so, they, yeah. <laughs> so they used some of my Patchfly video on the one show. Because what they had, Stephen Fry on, National Treasure, and they just basically <laughs> listed a load of things about him. And one of them on the list <laughs> was... Um, I don't discoverer of music, discoverer Amazing. of musicians. Yeah. yeah, that was brilliant. And yeah, so he said some more nice things about me. But um, yeah, but I've never, you know, I've never interacted with him or met him. I would absolutely. Do you know what? I would really love to. And um, there's a reason recently that I, I've got a collection of uh, Jeeves and Worcester PG oh, yeah, yeah. books. Some of them are first editions. Brilliant. My granddad on my dad's side used to collect collect paperback books like it. he's got millions and the odd hardback and he's got you know thousands and thousands of books dating back to like the, um i guess the 20s yeah, yeah and um no that's too early he'd have been a kid but 30s definitely and so there's a couple of first editions and uh yeah i've, I've i need to sell them or find a place for them i thought stephen fry might want one because he yeah. obviously played jeeves yeah yeah in the tv adaptation and he's a huge fan of pg woodhouse i believe so yeah, I was thinking I should try and get in touch with him and yeah. send him a book. There's well, with with the anniversary coming up, surely there's a, I suppose there's a tie I'd in that here tie in as well. Oh. Yeah, maybe I should. That would be nice. I should Absolutely. do that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll see. I'll. I don't. I've got no idea how I'd find out. I'll ask my record label. I've got a record label now. They might be able to. You've got people well. that can speak to people. I'll write everything down. I'll yeah. <laughs> absolutely make it happen that's that'll be that'll be such a lovely full circle to to, yeah. to tie it up that'll be brilliant i'll let you write that down before that's okay <laughs> i can talk and write um so yeah the new album is is absolutely fantastic and um, we've we i'll i'll start to wrap things up shortly so I feel probably, like I'm... you probably got about. I bet I, my prediction is you got about ten percent down on your list of questions. That no, no, no. I've done all right. Okay. I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I'm about seventy-five percent. I reckon I, I've I got through. No, no. I think I've managed. I think I've managed to weave stuff in a bit. So um, nice, skillful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the new album, and as I say, because we've 
we're, we've come up to the, the sort of 75% mark. We haven't like actually I can said what it's the anniversary of, I don't think. So it's the oh, anniversary uh, of Passion yes. So it's my, my most famous song. Yes. So it's, the anniversary. It came out 10 years ago, yeah. So just some context, not trying to put yes, it. Yes, and I will Although put... reissue of Secrets Nobody Keeps, the Passion album, will be out um, on the day or the day before the anniversary. So there will be a reissue on CD coming out and I've done some new artwork for it and um, some new liner notes and it's got like a, a new version of Passion Flower on it as well as like a bonus track. Um, yeah, so that's coming out and I'm going to do a couple of other things as well, but I don't know what. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, cool. Uh, yeah. I'll put links you were... to stuff and I'll put the video and, and everything in so people yeah, can check. If people haven't it. heard it, they can check it out. Um, because yeah, the, the, the video it is a, I, I, I am a visual person despite kind of being a bit of a musician, I am a visual person. I do, I do love the the element of being able to watch it as well. It's it does add to me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'll put I'll post that for people that haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, the new album. Um, I'm, and then, as I say, coming towards the end, so I can I can do some fanboy stuff now. So the um, yeah, the new album is absolutely fantastic. Um, genuinely, I think that it's probably got the best the best opening four songs of anything that i've heard in the last 18 months i just I, mm. it, it just keeps go, it keeps going i absolutely love it i think the the, the 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 trying the to think of, what the first four songs are now uh you know i need to say them so yeah it opens with uh what's the first track is it deep sea fishes the it first is track? why can't i remember <laughs> my brain is such sweet cheese so the reason that i open with that song so that song starts with just one note going mm. beep 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 on the guitar, yeah, and that's why it opens with that more than any other reason. That's why I opened it because just to have an album opening with one repeating yeah. note like a little dot, it's like a heartbeat. It is what it's supposed to be. So that song's called Deep Sea Fishes, mm-hmm. and what it's supposed to be is like a blinking anglerfish light. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And some people say it sounds like a radar in a submarine as well, which it does. Okay, which is yeah. Um, I thought of as well as I was doing it. It's like another had these underwater contexts. Mm-hmm. And then the drums come in, which are quite, they're supposed to be bubbly. They're supposed yeah, to yeah. sound kind of ripply and bubbly. And um, so I say drums, it's me hitting my yes. guitar. Um, so yeah. So yeah, then Cocoon, which mm-hmm. is my favourite song off the album at the moment. I don't know why. And then and then Dream Factories, which is yeah. like the faster track on the album, really. And then Tempest, which I didn't write, but it's extract, uh, just... It, it just it beautiful. fits. It kind of feels like a bit of a journey with those songs, and it just it, they all kind of feel like like a like the opening for me. I think mm. I, I, I always I must listen to them about fifteen twenty times, and they, and I always one after another in that order as well. It really feels like a journey. Um, That's lovely. Ab- absolutely love it. Um, the, but there's so many for me. There's and and it's interesting hearing the different that you know the speaking about Madonna, speaking about Wham, speaking you know, and then speaking about Nirvana and and Steve Vai and all of those things because I can hear there's so many genres within within that album. There are songs that I genuinely feel could could almost there's a there's a prodigy song in there for me. <laughs> Gen- genuinely, <laughs> um, you've got something that remind that that kind of that brings back just mental images that bring back. Um, me listening to garbage, you know, when, I, when oh, I'm yeah. 17, 18. Yeah, I love, like, well, I mean, I'm a night, 90s guy, really, so, yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's, you know, a lot of my roots come from there. So, there's stuff on there that, to me, we did talk about 
Um, so my producer, Andy Sorensen from Australia, who's an old friend now, um, some of our like little benchmark things mm. were, there's like a Madonna track from 1986 that I, we, I just kept listening to over mm-hmm. and over. It's like, I want it to sound like this. But I didn't want it to sound like that because it's just guitar and vocals. Yes. But I wanted it to yeah. sound have. There's a certain quality to it. It's hard to explain exactly, but it's um, it's weird where I. So I'm I'm not somebody where I. I mean, everybody says that they listen to lots of genres, but people don't always sound like it. Mm-hmm. And um. God, there's one particular lyric from a track by one of my favourite ever bands who are called The Screaming Headless Torsos. And the, the, the lyric is <laughs> people who... So he's talking about musicians. People who play like they hate what they say that they like. And he, that's something that definitely happens. But um, <laughs> That's great. It's harsh. <laughs> yeah. It's harsh. A lot of their lyrics are quite aggressively bitter. But Screaming Headless Torsos themselves, they have, they have so they have one song on their first album, which is a version of Blue and Green by Miles Davis, which right, is a yeah, yeah. very slow, kind of basically a blues yes. jazz track from Kind of Blue. Um, but their version, the verse, they've split it into like a verse and chorus, but it's the exact melody. Mm-hmm. It's definitely the tune. It's yeah. the same harmony, the same melody. But the, the the verse sections are dub, dub reggae. Right. And then the chorus <laughs> sections are thrash. So thrash metal, <laughs> right, yeah. specifically thrash metal. Oh, and well, the, and they've got the lyrics, out. and the lyrics are about being a vampire. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's that'll be my <laughs> evening. <laughs> I will find that. It's really good. That's it's awesome. really good. One of the greatest guitarists alive, David Vyaginsky, is the guitar player. He's not a household name, but he's a genius. Yeah. And um, yeah. What was, what and then was and about? yeah, no, oh, just yeah, the crossover of genres. Yeah. And... So yeah, it's like I do. I don't have like I I hear genres. Mm. And one thing that sometimes people say when they say, "Oh yeah, I don't really care about genres." Um, you know, listen to all the genres yeah. or they don't really care about them. And it's just good music and bad music. I don't actually like that at all. So mm. firstly, I don't think there's good music and bad music. No, it's personal preference. Yeah, totally. Same it's just whatever I, you like. I, and, don't, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. It's like, just, it's personal. Pe- 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 personal people, preference. like an open mic night who play guitar really well but are really boring. Mm. Like, it's like, you know, it's, I, I just get really, really bored. Whereas the guy who cannot play and cannot sing and basically just screams and pounds on his guitar it's like, okay, now I'm fucking interested. Yeah, you've got my attention. This is it. This is it. And basically, that's what we should all be trying to do. Mm. We should hopefully be able to try to sing and play as well. But if you sing and play at the expense of that, Mm. if that goes, if the emotion goes, there's no point. But the other thing I don't like about the good and bad music thing, apart from bad music being some of the best music that there is, is that saying saying there's no such thing as genres, I don't like that either because I like to put stuff in pigeonholes yeah, which yeah. you're not supposed to do but I'm like I've got like because when I write a track instantly I'm thinking is this pop is it jazz is it mm. trance yeah. is it hip hop is it techno is it metal is it country yeah. is it blues and I think of all the genres in my mind and they're all little uh, countries or places you know what I mean they're yeah. all little you know with their own cultures and I just want to nick a bit from there and, yeah. and, and do a bit of that and just, just because it's just really nice to just yeah. live in all those little places and understand them in whatever way, you know, you can understand them. And 
you know, it's not like I'm ever going to be. I think that's why when I tried to play blues, but when I was, I guess, like in my early twenties, I was like, I'm gonna, am I going to really try to do this? And it's like, I can't do it. It's not, it's not real. And there's blues artists now who are really famous and really good, and I think they can really play and they can really sing. I don't want to name names because mm. it's just my own thing, but. But but I just leave me totally cold, and it's because I don't believe them. Yes, yes, yeah, hundred percent like, agree. And nobody would believe me, and it's not their fault, and it's not mm. that they're not being authentic <clears throat> to themselves. It's just I've got to believe it. Yeah. I'm the person listening to it. But you could probably be, you know, what? Like I never bought into C6 Steve. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure he's still going. I it just is, couldn't yeah. buy it. I don't know why. I just found him to be. I don't know why I just yeah. couldn't buy it. No, it either, like, either clicks or it doesn't. Yeah, it? it was. So, and I loved everything about him except the fact I just couldn't really. I don't know. Yeah, I just no, didn't I'd, feel like I was I've connected had... to his story. It's so odd. I whereas, had, like yeah. somebody could. Whereas, like Robert Cray, who's the slickest. His music is so slick. Mm. Like it's, it's taken away a lot of what blues is. But then there's this. The sound of his voice and the sound of his guitar, there's so much fucking pain in it. Even though the music is so slick, yeah. there's so much pain in it. It's like he's crying out in agony, but in a beautiful way. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, you know, and it's like, oh, God, that, that really hits me. Yeah. Even though the music itself is mm. not like this kind of, it's not C6 Steve. It's not like this kind of, you know, broken down quality to it where it's yeah. ramshackle yeah, yeah. and kind of, you know. And that's what you you know you could you'd almost think you'd expect the authenticity and stuff to come from that side of things, not the yeah. slick. But yeah, yeah I'm not no, saying I'm, that's what seems. No, absolutely. So not. A, yeah, so I feel I feel happy naming Seam Six Steve's name because it's like someone that I can say, or it's like I'm not slagging him off. It's like no. I just don't get. It. I just it's just like it it just you know, it, you know the, for every oh god, I feel bad that I've even named him. Well, I'm so bad. I just, I just, I just hate that. I might make anybody feel bad. No, like, no. Either, you know, he might listen and feel bad, but it's really unlikely. Oh, he's or, a big listener. Yeah, yeah or, a, or just people who like his music might feel that like I'm questioning their no, taste, no, which I'm no. not at all. I'm just saying it's like, like authenticity yeah. isn't something that people have as music artists and musicians. It's something that you experience mm. as a as a listener. I think or that's, a, I think that's fair to say. Like, I, I had a similar sort of thing with with Beck for years right. and years and I just couldn't get it didn't everybody was saying absolutely amazing and, and then and I didn't get it whatsoever and I, and I actively hated it as well <laughs> and then and then he was playing before somebody at Leeds Festival 99 he's a shit 2000. hot musician he will win you over live because oh he is fucking God. his voice is amazing his band is like oh my, was, he's, he's the white prince yeah he's it, unbelievable yeah, absolutely. he's I, so good I, I, he can I, play I, anything it, you know I, I went there I went to Leeds Festival 99 2000 2000 probably and and I was uh, converted it yeah. was the standout set the stand, and, he's and incredible then, oh my god since Just then I've been listening to the albums that I hated and was like these are genius so well, and he, it was, but it's that thing that I, I hadn't made that connection nothing yeah, changed yeah. from his side yeah it was absolutely me. yeah so I, I was really into Beck um, like when he kind of became a thing his second album is called Mellow Gold I yeah, yeah. right I might be wrong yeah Mellow, Mellow Gold and, and Odelay were the two that, that I'd heard and I just couldn't get it and then then Midnight Vultures, and I was like, "So I only oh. <laughs> I, some some artists I don't know any. So I usually don't know anything about artists. There's some things which is like a genre authenticity, but quite often, you know, I don't 
I'm not somebody who will like listen to somebody's whole catalogue. Mm. It's like I'll just get into one album or even just one song. And yeah. that's it. I don't feel a need to then go and... Exp- I will, out of curiosity, have mm. a look. But if it's like it doesn't instantly get me, I don't have the patience to try and find my way mm. into it. So I'll just... So, so Beck is an artist where... His album that came out after Mellow Gold, is it called Devil's Haircut? Yeah. Well, that's the uh, single. No, no, it was Midnight Vultures. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, so that was the one that was mega massive. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't be bothered with it. And it's not because there's anything wrong with it. It's just that I really loved Mellow Gold. Yeah. But the only reason I loved that album is because like, I was staying at my best mate's house for a summer. For like His parents went away for like three weeks and we just lived in his house and just destroyed it and yeah. smoked weed. And um, my dad's girlfriend at the time got me something for my birthday. He must have told her that I liked Jeff Beck. And she bought me Mellow Gold by Beck. Yeah, okay. And I was like, you know, um, I didn't know what it was. And I listened to it, and it was like, oh, it seems all right. And I just listened to it over and over and over again. And then there's... um, I I just became obsessed with it. So so it's one of the albums that I've just listened to a lot. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and I absolutely love it. And I love him, and I love watching him live. Yeah. you know, I know what his big singles are. He's have to start. My favourite thing that he did was recently he released an album on uh, just musical notes on sheet music only. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, what? and people are like, "This is the most hipster thing ever," and I'm like, "I don't care. I fucking <laughs> love it. That is so great." That Can't was... read music? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's just brilliant. But also, why not? Yeah, why not? Just do it. Not? Do what you want. Oh. It's, yeah. your, it's your thing. He's, he can, he's got the money to just do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Love it. Cool. So, what's what's coming up then? Other than <laughs> other than the the rest of your the the, the anniversary, mm. you've got a tour that you've had to reschedule. Yeah. So twenty five thousand times. Yeah. I'm finally getting back on tour. It's um very weird. It's been a very 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 hard time. You mm. know, it's really been hard and uh, really struggled past 18 months it's been really tough so i've struggled with my mental health and my physical health and just as just basically as a result of mental health being bad and just it's been really tough releasing an album was both a saving thing because that was going to happen anyway like i released i could never be one of those people in a pandemic who just like all right i'm just going to write an album i'm too um i don't know i feel very connected to the world in that I just don't feel like my fate can ever be separated from what's going on in the wider world. It's, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like a, so yeah, I couldn't just lock myself away and do something else. You know, it's, um, yeah, but the album was coming out anyway. So I finished it off during the pandemic and then it was released, um, you know, six months ago. And, um, yeah, that was both saved me and also was really, really hard because not being able to get any direct in-person feedback. Mm. So obviously these days, most of your feedback will come online, but then you'll go and play gigs. Yeah. But also just the fact that you've released an album, even if you don't talk to people about it, it's like you release the album. It really, you put, I put so much work into it and so much mm. of myself into it. Like, so, so much. And then you just want to go and live in the world, meaning mm-hmm. in, you know, society, community, people, having done that. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, it's like, you know, like Neil Armstrong, 
you know, he lives in the world with people, whatever. Then he goes to the moon and he comes back and lives in the world. Hmm. But now he's different. He's been to the moon. And it doesn't matter if anybody ever talks to him about going to the moon ever, which they probably do yeah. endlessly. And he probably lives <laughs> on a freaking desert island. I don't know. But do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. he's been to the moon now. Yeah. Or Buzz Aldrin might be a better example because he didn't go and live on a desert island. But even if no, I mean, everybody will talk to him about it because he's a really famous experience. But even if they don't, he feels different. Mm. His context for himself and the world around him is different. So it's like anything that I think when you have a life event that's like a work event or whatever, mm. something that you do in your career in particular, you know, you want to just be that person that's now done that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever it is, you just got a new job, whatever. Um, then it's like, you know, not being able to do that it made it feel like it hadn't really happened. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that must be very... That must be... And especially seeing as you've been through the process previously and kind of have a... You almost have an expectation of... You've released it. Yeah, And then, and then yeah. there's a kind of a post-release of, of, of what happens after that. And that there is, just yeah. can't happen. That's, yeah, in, in an unprecedented time where that just is taken away from you. So. Yeah. But it's yeah. not really... It's not... Yeah, it's just... Yeah. It, obviously, everybody's had pretty much everybody's had a pretty pretty awful time. So it's um, yeah, and that's the that's the absolute least mm. of it. You know, that's the absolute least of it. It's even the least of, of it for me. You know, we've had awful stuff happen in the pandemic related to the pandemic. Yeah, and it's like you know, but it's um, yeah, it just sucks. I'm really really glad that that uh, science has saved us. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully people take advantage of that. I hope they. I hope that we. They, we learn as well. Just mm. that science can save us, not necessarily technology, because that can be scary. And you can obviously, technology can be good or bad, you know. But science, in terms of understanding the world and what's happening, and then being able to f firstly be able to see it, what's actually this is what's happening, mm. and this is probably why, and then having solutions, potential solutions, you know, that's. That's all we can do. Science science shouldn't even have a word. There should be no word science. It should just be knowledge. Yeah. There just should be no word. That's really good. Point. And then people would say, oh, yeah, I don't trust science. I, like I just don't trust scientists. There could be anything. <laughs> like experts. I mean, what, what is it? I don't even understand the equations, whatever. Yeah. It's like, say, if you... Because it's called science. People can say that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But if but you say... Um, I don't know who that was, that voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even know Generic why. Generic person. Weird, yeah. weird Mancunian. <laughs> and, but if it was just called knowledge, which is what yeah. it is, then, yeah, I don't trust knowledge. Yeah. It'd sound, it sound even more stupid, that guy. So the, the Stuart Lee thing. I'm going to call well, yeah, Kev. You can, you can prove everything with facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice quote. <laughs> and I've got a lot of... Stuart Lee has been a big influence on me, my career as well, in a weird way. So not... Not really, musically. Yeah, actually, you know what? He's a as, he loves the a jazz. Really good friend of mine, Stuart Lee is one of his biggest fans. Right, um, he's a jazz piano player called Matthew Bourne, and, and uh, so he loves he loves the jazz, doesn't he? It's a big, yeah, he does. It's a big part of his show. And his favorite guitarist is called Derek Bailey. Have you ever listened to Derek Bailey? No. You should. Everybody should now listen to one Derek Bailey piece. Okay. One Derek Bailey. Doesn't matter which one. It absolutely does not matter which one. Listen to any Derek Bailey down. piece right now for 
I reckon 90, if there's 100 people listening, for 99 of them, it's the only David ba- Derek Bailey piece they will ever listen to and they won't make it to the end. <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. It is. Okay. It is a challenge. That's the entire I'll, point. I will also put a link to uh, whichever one I find on YouTube yeah. <laughs> within this. I don't think there's much on YouTube. I'll, like I'll video find, wise I'll, in which case I have a Spotify playlist yep. which I'll be adding some of your songs and I, I will add I will add <laughs> I'll add one of his on there as well so it's uh, yeah in fact I think Stuart Lee when he went on Mastermind that was his specialist subject was the life and times of Derek Bailey yeah amazing okay so yeah there's I a, think there's, it was a link I didn't there. actually watch it I just heard that that's what he'd done so but yeah Stuart Lee is his career and the way that he so Stuart Lee the comedian the way he um approaches being a comedian and just being an entertainer as such and the way that he feels this responsibility to to entertain but also feels that that can be a negative thing yeah and i think it's really really interesting and brilliant and it has like there's a lot of pressures um so you know i post on instagram and facebook and youtube and it's like oh how many likes have i got it matters mm. it does actually actually matter a bit certainly youtube plays matters and it you know stuff matters and um it's like oh i'm not as popular as maybe i should be and then i think of Stuart lee yeah and he's the opposite he's like he actually actively wants less people to, to come yeah so he'll do things that are deliberately very very difficult and not funny. Just not funny. So yeah. sometimes he'll just be not funny. And if people are still laughing, he'll be less funny until they fucking stop. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen him talk about how he likes to lose the room. Yeah, and exactly. Then, and then win it back as a, just a game for him, yeah. for him and also to wheedle down his audience. It, it's very, yeah. very interesting. Being a musician is quite different um, because if you stand up in a room with a microphone, everyone will listen to you. If you talk to a room and just talk, doing stand-up comedy everybody will listen to you um if you play music people won't necessarily listen to you mm. so if you're in a if you're in a pub and you had a microphone and you just started talking and announcing to the room everybody would listen to what you had to say they may or may not like it so it's you know there's a huge challenge to that but with with music the challenge of having a microphone and a guitar in a room is slightly different because mm. people just if they're if they're not interested in what you're doing they'll just ignore you and talk to themselves to talk yeah. to themselves so it's a different challenge but it is um connected and there are ways that you can like silence a room and make them listen to you. It's just, do you want to do it? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. And I've done it a couple of times um, when it's like, so, you know, back in the day, I'd be like playing in a pub and I'm getting ignored or whatever. And I think, shall I shut? I know I can shut a room up. Yeah, yeah. I can do it. It's not hard. Anybody can shut up a room. People, musicians ask me, how do I get them to listen to me when I'm playing in the bar? It's like, dude, if you want them to listen to you, I'll make them listen to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. But you won't necessarily... <laughs> you might, might not yeah. get the reaction you want. Have you tried taking your trousers off? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I'm not recommending that. It's just been, yeah. I'm just pointing out how easy yes. it is, how easy it is to get anybody to pay attention to you. It's not hard. Um, so there's certain ways that you can do it, like a tricks of the trade. But then it's like, sometimes I look at the room and go... I'm better off just hiding here in the corner. But then sometimes I'll just get... So if the audience... Or audience. If, they're, if, they're playing in a, if I used to be playing in a pub and they were ignoring me, but they seem to be nice and having a nice mm. time, I just go, well, that's fair enough. I'm having a nice time playing. Yeah. They're having a nice time. I'm not get, we're not getting in each other's way. I'm part of it. They're part of it. 
whatever. And I just do it. But if they were seemed obnoxious, so if they were, is if, this where the Johnny Rotten comes out? Yeah, that's when is I would this? like, right, I'm having this. Yeah, and I would, I would make them listen to me, and I would force them to listen to me, and they wouldn't fucking like it. Yeah, you know what I mean. They don't want not because they even don't like what I'm doing. It's because. That's they don't want they it. They're not there for that. <laughs> yeah, they're there to there to like just yeah. talk and 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 get drunk. But if they're doing mm. it in a way that I like, they're really really leery or being obnoxious, or I see like a load of blokes being a, being like, inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. With like um with like uh, women in the in the pub or whatever, I'm like right. I'm not having that. And so I'll just shut them. So I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go over to like take my guitar up and go over and like you know, like a knight in shining armor and rescue this woman. But I will. Use your platform. I will. No one's even say anything about it. I'll just make her not the, yeah, not the focus of their attention. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I'll yeah, just become yeah. it. And uh, yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's <laughs> the amount of scrapes I've got myself into over the years doing that. Oh man, got so many bad situations because of doing that. Yeah. So what? What's the touring plan coming up? Oh yeah, so there won't be any of that. That's right. That's what I'm expecting now. I fucking hope not. (laughs) I do know. I would love it. I I love all that stuff. But um, yeah, so I'm playing. I don't even know how many gigs. I've just started kind of um, getting into seriously rehearsing for it, and uh, because I'm just so rusty, I need to have a really long run up. And starts in October. At start of October got like a warm-up gig in september and then starts in october and it runs basically till nearly christmas so it's right so it's pretty quite a lot of dates it's like about 25 dates or something and um just all over um england couple in wales glasgow in scotland and that i think is it for scotland this time and what I've sometimes done before is like um, I'll do this kind of tour, which is cities. And my booking agent always just wants me to do fewer gigs in bigger, bigger venues. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. no, they would just do these. That's fine. And I want to do smaller venues because that's I just really enjoy it. So then, in the past, what I've sometimes made him do is the following year, it's like, okay, now what about all the towns we didn't do? Mm. Um, so I want to go to like Aberdeen or like yeah, yeah, Ullapool or Inverness or you know. Cornwall or just nice places yeah. and just um, go and play in a pub and it's like you know he, he hates that because you know his percentage is financially still all the time <laughs> yeah no, so that's... I'll do like a little a little mini like tour of like little towns and stuff but um, you know, sounds so good sometimes I do that but I don't know I don't know if I will sounds good well hopefully the tour goes swimmingly um, I'm very much looking forward to coming to the Broodnell Oh, um, me too. I miss absolutely that place. love it. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great venue. Um, I'm sure. I used to be. play poker there in the back room. <laughs> it's been a while, but yeah. But yeah, yeah I've known, I've known like the the Brunels or Nath, who's a legendary one. Yeah. Brunel. I remember when the first time I ever met Nath, he was just in the kind of middle of deciding whether he was gonna run it, right. or whether he was gonna go like cause he's a footballer. Oh he right, got, yeah. He got an, he got an injury, so he couldn't be professional footballer. But he got a like was getting offers of work um, coaching. Right, right, right. Didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah, could have been a different, yeah, different story. Well, Lee's I mean, music will be totally different. Absolutely, I think it's, it's such a hub. Just just creatively, I think just so many people are, are attracted to it from across the country. 
you know you speak to so many people and and they love playing Broodnell and it's it's great yeah. as a as an audience member um and it's it's a great place to just go as well even when there isn't a gig on which is rare in normal times yeah, yeah. There's, there's almost always something going on and there's been I've seen so many great bands there so many um, yeah. it's just a wonderful atmosphere yeah it's a good place so yeah look I'm looking forward to to seeing you there um and I think I think uh, another future guest has already asked has potentially asked to support you uh, all right but uh, I'll I'll right. leave that for uh, for outside the podcast. Okay, but, um, but yeah, thank you very is much. Is it Morrissey? It isn't Morrissey. <laughs> no, no, it's Johnny Rotten. Um, yeah, thank I'm you. Not having much. him. I'm not having. I'll have Johnny Rotten. I'll have yeah. to watch what he says. Yes, but I'm not having. I'm specifically not having Morrissey. Not having my join the line. I think friends. that's absolutely absolutely <laughs> founded um, and totally legitimate. Cool. Well, thank you very much for for taking the time to speak to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. Um, Good luck yeah. editing it. Yeah, absolutely not going to edit it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Cheers. So, there it is. Episode 47 with the delightful John Gom. Um, I could easily have carried on talking to John for another hour, um, and I will absolutely have him back again at some point in the future to carry on. As I said in the introduction, all links to John's site where you can check out more information about merch, tour dates, more information about him... Um, that's in the description of this episode. Check out the tracks that I've added to the WIY podcast playlist on Spotify um, and go show the man some support. Go check him out when he's live in October and November. Um, it's going to be it's going to be an amazing show. I'm, I'm sure the the tour supports um, are all individually picked um, and different for each date. So well worth seeing. I guess what will be local people to your area. Um, so well worth going and, and checking the whole show out. Next week's episode um, is back to a chat that I had at Slam Dunk Festival in 2021. So if you're interested in that side of things, make sure you subscribe um, or follow or whatever you need to do so that you get notifications of who that's with and when that is released. I'm going to leave you now. Thank you very much for listening. Um, enjoy whatever it is you're doing with the rest of your day or night and good night.